Appreciate the worship team leading us this morning in worship and uh, reminding us again of our mission that God has called us to and uh, called us on as we are on this journey of accomplishing the Great Commission for the cause of Christ. And uh, as you can probably guess, if you thought about this about six weeks ago when we started a series that would kind of be the final six messages and would have thought about what, what would be the last message, uh, it would be on something that is near and dear to my heart, which is the cause of missions, the cause of taking the gospel around the world. And uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I do appreciate, um, as Jonathan mentioned, um, I know we jest sometimes, but uh, I do appreciate the elders putting up with me uh, for the last uh, seven years. Um, about nine weeks ago, I had an intense email conversation with them to determine what Sunday was going to be the last Sunday I would be preaching because it all mattered to me in making the plan. I'm a like hyper planner. And so um, the joke kind of became... Um, that we'll figure out what next week will look like. And I kept asking them, like, well, okay. I mean, that was before things were confirmed with Jonathan. And I love Dave and Michael, but can you guys really put together a service? And, and so this kind of became a, a whole thing. And uh, so now it's been the running joke in, uh, among the elders for the last uh, seven weeks or so. Um, I, I do believe, I do believe, now that Jonathan's here, <laughs> I do believe uh, that they can run a service next week, um, but I did tell them if I show up next week and they say, oh, we forgot and we're not prepared, then I have a message prepared from go to the ant thou sluggard. And so um, if I preach that next week, then you know there was some stuff that went down behind the scenes. Um, but uh, no, I, I just, I want to express my appreciation to them and, and uh, putting up with me and trying to, you know, I think sometimes I'm three to six months out in thinking about things, and I think sometimes they get an email from me and go, why are we, why are we talking about this now? That's like then. And uh, so they've, they've generally obliged my, my planning desires. And so uh, today is uh, the final message in the series that we've been looking at. We are family. We are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we want to look at a text of scripture from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, Whenever we look at missions topics, and I've preached lots of missions messages over the years, uh, one of the places that is, is helpful for us to go in terms of pulling out principles or pulling out truths is from Paul's missionary journeys. And as Paul has engaged and is engaging people, uh, again, a great reminder to us of the, really the tenacity that Paul demonstrated in being able to uh, faithfully proclaim Christ amidst difficulties and amidst circumstances that he faced and amidst challenges that he endured. And so this morning we're looking at a particular section within a particular aspect of Paul's missionary journey. And Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 52 is what we're going to look at. This is actually part of a longer narrative that's a part of, of chapter 13. In fact, if you look all the way to the beginning of chapter 13, you would see a little bit about what is happening probably next week, I would imagine, some of the aspects about Paul and Barnabas being sent out and being commissioned to go out. But we come to this aspect of Acts chapter 13, verse 44, and to 
Paul and Barnabas into the missionary uh, journey that they're on. And here is the text that we pick up in. And again, this is in the middle of, of a, a time that they've been in Antioch, a time that they've been engaging the people. So we're picking it up kind of mid-story. But verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we do thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And Father, we are so thankful for your love to us, your graciousness to us, your allowing us to be able to share the gospel, to be able to have a part in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning I pray that as we look at this particular text of Scripture, that you may remind us and challenge us and enable us to be bold and courageous like Paul was amidst the challenges and the difficulties of life that we face. Father, may we trust you and may we see you do some amazing and some mighty things in and through us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the power of your word, and we thank you for all that your word stands for, for it is through the preaching of Christ that hearts are turned to you. So, Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Give us clarity this morning as we look at your word, and Father, I pray that you would help us to apply these truths to our hearts and to our lives. We pray these things in your son's name, amen. When we think about missions and we think about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, it's a daunting task to think about. As you think about what all that entails, you think about the difficulties and the challenges. Maybe you, you know of missionaries. Maybe you know of people that have done that and you know some of the stories that they've shared and you realize so that's, that's some sacrifice that has to take place. That's some uh, difficulty that they have to endure. That's some uh, challenges that they go through as a family. I appreciate in Paul Sager's book entitled Senders, one of the uh, last pages of, uh, I think it's chapter two, he mentions the difficulty of the sacrifice of the families who are left at home who send their family members off to go share the gospel. And he talks about the challenges that come during holiday times and that come through special times. And sometimes it's easy for us to think about missions and think about, well, you know what? That's really nice, and that, that's kind of warm and fuzzy, and that makes us feel good, but how about we let somebody else go do that? Because we want to keep our family together. We, we, we want to keep our grandchildren with us. We want to keep our children with us. We, we want to keep our friends with us. 
and inherent within the warm fuzzy of missions because we're telling people about God, we're telling people about Christ, we're going to the ends of the earth. Inherent within this is the reality that it means sacrifice on everybody's part. The missionary who's leaving sacrifices. The children who are going with their family, with their, with their parents are sacrificing. The, the church that they are leaving is sacrificing. Everyone is part of the sacrificial process. In fact, as you look at Acts chapter 13, and there are other passages that deal with a similar thought of Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, where we see really the introduction to this particular text. It's being communicated that the Holy Spirit is communicating, saying in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So we have missionaries that come to our church and we're like, wow, that's really cool. We meet a missionary and and they're going around the world. And sometimes within the quote unquote coolness of it, we realize, we fail to realize there is an immense amount of sacrifice just to get to that point. Let alone all of the other challenges and all the other difficulties that they have to endure and they have to go through. So what about us? How do we have to think about and, and contemplate this aspect of what it means to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? There are some of you that will be here this morning who will say, God, God isn't calling me to go to you know, the middle of nowhere, some jungle, some, some tribe in South America, some, some jungle in Indonesia. God isn't calling me to, to go to some foreign field. God isn't calling me to do that. So What's my role? I remember our first round of raising support, and uh, we were between 2006 and 2009 raising support to, to go to Italy as missionaries. And I remember people would, would often say things like, well, I, I stuck 20 bucks in the plate, so I've done my part. Well, that was nice, and no missionary is ever going to turn that down. No missionary is ever going to say, no, you shouldn't have done that. But the reality is that's not quote unquote, doing your part in full. Because doing our part in full means wherever we are, wherever God has called us to, we are faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to. So in that essence, we would have to argue theologically, every one of us is a missionary. Every one of us has been called to take the gospel. He just happens to have called you to Alto, Michigan right now. He happens to have called you to wherever you live. Caledonia or Kentwood or, or Middleville or wherever it is you reside. God has called you to that location and he's called you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by each one of us as believers doing what God has called us to do as the king who controls all of us as his pawns, when we all are faithful to do what he's called us to do by default, we will accomplish the commission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's not my obligation to go to every country. God hasn't called me to every country. I'm not omniscient or omnipresent. I'm not capable of of being everywhere at all times. But if each one of us is faithful to do what God has called us to do, the king in his great wisdom and his sovereign plan will work out the receiving, the, the reaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is what Paul is alluding to here when he when he talks about in verse 47, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What's the goal of believers? Goal of believers is to fulfill their role in the accomplishment of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. For some, that means they may stay here in Alto, Michigan for all of their life. 
For others, that may mean that God calls them out to other places. Wherever God has called us to, the goal of each believer is to say, I want to be faithful to do what the king has told me to do. I am simply a pawn in his hand, and wherever he places me on the chessboard of life, so to speak, I want to be faithful to proclaim him wherever he has placed me, and I trust his sovereign hand to direct us in that process. That's what all of our life should be. Sometimes I think we, we disengage ourselves missionally. We disengage ourselves from this process. We say, well, God hasn't called me to you know, go to Australia, or God hasn't called me to go to Kenya, or God hasn't called me to go to, to Czechos, uh, the Czech Republic, or, or God hasn't called me to all the places. We can look on the wall and see where our missionaries are, are, are serving, and God hasn't called me there. Well, that might be true. God hasn't, maybe hasn't called you to Australia. God maybe hasn't called you to Kenya. God maybe hasn't called you to some foreign field, but God has called you right here for right now to this place. And for us as believers to, to disengage or to disassociate the concept of, well, that's the missionaries and they go do their thing and I stay here. Ooh, I didn't have to get called to go there. You are already called somewhere. By default, as a believer, you are called somewhere. And for right now, you're called here. And for us, we're called out. And others are called out. And if you're faithful here and we're faithful there, by default, under God's sovereign plan, the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. Sometimes we fail to realize that we play, those of us staying and living in Alto, Michigan, play as just as much a vital part of that process as any other missionary who's called out to some foreign field. It's dangerous this morning to preach on a this last final message, maybe I should have rethought this and done this first, something that's so passionate and so uh, near and dear to my heart as this particular topic, and then to limit myself, hopefully, to, to the allotted time, general allotted time. But I want to look at eight aspects of what it means to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Again, if we understand that Alto, Michigan is just as much the end of the earth as Zimbabwe is, as some jungle in Indonesia is, as some jungle in South America is. This is all part of the ends of the earth because for those people, this is the end of the earth. I know we think about Alto, Michigan, who would not want to live here, but there are people around the world who would say, whoa, I called you to Alto, Michigan? That's the end of the earth for us. We're all part of that process. We're all part of this process of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So don't think about this in terms of, well, I'm not called to some, some foreign field or I'm not called to some crazy place, therefore I'm not part of this. All of us are part of this. We all have the obligation to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So eight aspects of this, one from each verse, starting in verse 45. Verse 44 introduces us to this next scene within the big picture scene of Paul and, and Barnabas and, 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 and their, their team ministering there in Antioch. If you read previous verses here, preceding verses, you're gonna see this has been going on for a while. It's been going on for a couple of weeks. They've been engaged in this process. They've, they've had some difficulty. They've been very bold. They've been very blunt. Uh, they've been very in your face about you crucified Christ and this is the process. And this is what's happened. So verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, you could just start at verse 44 and say, wow, that must have been amazing. But you have to see what's been happening, preceding passages, all the things that have been going on that led us to verse 44. 
It wasn't like Paul waltzed into town and whew, everybody came out to hear him, although we do know through many of his missionary journeys, his reputation preceded itself. Acts 17, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. When he goes into Thessalonica, we know that his reputation preceded him. But verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city is gathered to hear the word of the Lord. They're intrigued. Paul has, has intrigued them. Paul has captured their, their minds. So verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. One of the dreams that I have, I have crazy, weird, random dreams all the time, but one of the dreams that I sometimes have, and maybe, maybe this will end after this next week, I don't know, but as a, sometimes I'm having a dream that I'm trying to preach and everybody is talking and no one will be quiet and listen. And it's a very frustrating feeling like, you know, could I just, and I know I have a loud voice and I try to talk louder in my dream, but nobody cares. Everybody's just talking. I had one of those dreams last night, actually. So it's easy for us to, to look at this text and say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, they began to contradict and, and they began to revile him. But think about it. Paul is laying out his heart to these people. This is a controversial situation. This is a, a, a very difficult situation. Paul is confronting these people, these, these unbelieving Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And he's, he's pouring out his heart. And what do they begin to do? Well, they begin to contradict what was spoken by Paul and they begin to revile him while he's speaking. As a pastor, as a speaker, there is nothing more frustrating than if you feel like people aren't actually paying attention to what you're saying. I mean, you can work through distractions and you can work through different things, but when you feel like people aren't listening to you, I remember we took our, our teens in New Mexico on a missions trip to Rexburg, Idaho, and we had done this whole week-long VBS meeting, and in the evenings, we were, we were doing you know, gospel presentation, and it's, uh, Rexburg, Idaho is just a, a small college town and, and, and very heavily Mormon, and so... We were doing all of this stuff, and Friday night was going to be our big night. We had been working all the way through. We had been inviting people, and sure enough, this small little church was packed out on that Friday night. And I remember I was going to share the gospel. I was going to share a simple story of the message of salvation, and so I began to speak, and I got about five minutes in, and this woman in the second row, she gets a phone call. Like, the phone goes off, and I'm like, well, surely she's not going to answer that. And I'm talking, and, and it's ringing, and then she answers it. And I'm like, well, surely she's going to not talk. And she began to talk. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, this is a small little church, and it's, you know, everything has been gearing to this. And she's talking, and so I raised my voice. And I have a lot of levels I can go. So I, I raised my voice, and she raised her voice. And I thought, lady, do you not understand? what? And so this went on. And finally, she got up. She's like, the pastor's being really loud. I got to leave. And she got up and she walked out of the church building. So I can relate to the challenges of trying to speak as Paul is communicating here to say people are, are contradicting him and reviling him. And if you've never done public speaking, you may say, oh, well, that, that, that's probably not that big of a deal. It is that because you start getting some real angst in your heart and your sanctification gets tried really quickly. But Paul is addressing the crowd. He is addressing... These people, and they're filled with jealousy. They begin to contradict what he was saying. They begin to revile him. 
One of the things that we need to glean out of verse 45 is this, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth means there will be opposition. It means that people will oppose us. We can look at texts like 1 Thessalonians. I'm not going to take time to read all of these lengthy texts of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 20. But Paul in there addresses in verse 14 the fact that they suffered from their countrymen, their own countrymen, from the Jews who killed both the Lord and the prophets. They drove them out and they displeased God and they opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. That's in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says the Jews were horrible people. They opposed us. They, they contradicted what we said. They, they, they did everything in their power to keep the message from getting out. So if we have this mindset, we must have this mindset. Those of you that have lived in Alto, Michigan for all of your life, and there are some of you in this room, you've lived here forever. And you have to understand that you are part of the process of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth just like the person who is sent out to some other place. You have to understand that this is talking about you. And then you have to understand that when you share the gospel, you must remember and must know that there will be opposition that comes your way. Kids, when you're going to school and you're sharing the gospel, you need to understand that there's going to be opposition that's going to come your way. People are going to try to contradict what you say. They're going to try to revile you. They're going to try to shut you down. They're going to try to keep you from speaking, just like they did with Paul. If we go into this blinded to say, well, the ends of the earth, that's, that's Zimbabwe, or that's Kenya, or, or that's some jungle in some foreign country, that's not Alto, Michigan, then we've missed the entire point. You are part of the ends of the earth just as much as anybody else. And you need to understand that there will be opposition to the cause of Christ. Verse 46, not only will there be opposition, Paul says in verse, or Luke says rather in verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. I can imagine that Paul, who's the type A driven personality, would not have tolerated being contradicted and would not have tolerated being shut down. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. I love, I, I love how Paul, Paul I can relate to a lot because he probably says some things. Peter says dumb stuff. Paul just says it very bluntly and in your face. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. So what is, how does Paul respond? Paul is preaching the gospel. Paul is trying to communicate the gospel. The Jews are reviling him. The Jews are contradicting him. So Paul says, fine, I'll play your game. Verse 46. Paul says this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Paul is not interested in having a politically correct debate with these people. <laughs> Paul is interested in getting directly to the point to say, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to hear. This is what needs to be communicated. So what do we learn out of verse 46? When we share the gospel to the ends of the earth, not only is there opposition, but there will be rejection. Paul and Barnabas speaking boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first because you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. The rejection of the Jews. He came unto his own. His own received him not. The Jews that received him. We, we see a text in Acts chapter 17. We'll actually... Look at this text twice, but Acts chapter 17, 
where they come into Thessalonica, and it says, as Paul's manner was, he went in under the synagogue, and three synagogue, three weeks worth of time, he reasoned with them out of the scripture, declaring to them that the Jesus Christ that they killed was Messiah, and that he needed to suffer and to die. But Acts chapter 17, verse 5, says this, but the Jews were jealous And taking, I mentioned this several months ago, and taking wicked men of the rabble. This is my favorite verse in the King James. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. If you remember from several months ago, we mentioned that. If you have a King James, you will see certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. This phrase that kind of strikes me funny. But it says wicked men of the rabble in the ESV. Probably whatever translation you may have may say something different. But this is how the Jews responded. They were jealous and they took some wicked men of the rabble and they formed a mob and they set the city on an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. There was rejection. We have to understand that not everyone is going to accept or receive with gladness the words that we share, which is this. Jesus Christ was Messiah. He was crucified. He died. He rose again. And if you don't trust in him as your only Lord and Savior, the consequences will be eternal hell. Shocking to know that many people are not lining up to hear that message. And that in our politically correct world, that message is going to bring about some disdain for us and some rejection for us. And so we need to understand that, yes, taking the gospel to the ends of the world is what God has called us to, but there will be opposition. There will be rejection. Verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us Paul and Barnabas say, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There should be joy on all of our parts as Gentiles for the fact that the gospel has come to us. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for God's people. It is for all of humanity. The gospel reaches to all of us. And so Paul and Barnabas remind them, saying, this is the, this is the mission that we have been sent on. We have been sent on this mission. We, we have been made a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 47, we need to realize we have been empowered to do this. When we think about the challenges of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we think about the opposition that we're going to receive, and we think about the rejection that we're going to receive, we must remember as well from verse 47, the empowerment that we have received. This is the command that the Almighty God has given to us. So when the government officials declare, you can't do this, we say, well, thank you for your opinion, but the ultimate authority has said we have to do this. We have to declare Christ. So by the way, you can pray for our brothers and sisters in California who are enduring some challenging difficulties starting this weekend and going forward where they're no longer allowed to sing in church. They can gather, but they're told that they cannot sing. It's now a violation of the law in California. And so pray for our brothers and sisters to have wisdom to know how to handle that. We have been empowered. God is the one who enables us. God is the one who empowers us. He equips us. He energizes us to do the work that he's called us to do. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. 
to the end of the age. So no matter where we are, the end of the world, or at the end of time, God is there with us, empowering us, enabling us, strengthening us, encouraging us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Christ has ascended back to heaven and the angels remind us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we need to remember we are empowered not by our education, not by our experiences, not by our backgrounds, not by our church. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit who is at work in our hearts, in our lives, to give us the confidence, the strength, the security we need to proclaim, faithfully proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here's a very realistic reality check. It may be more difficult to share the gospel in Alto, Michigan, than it may be to share the gospel in the darkest jungles in South America. It may be more difficult. You may receive more persecution. You may need more prayer than that missionary in the jungle of South America to share the gospel in Alto, Michigan than you've ever thought possible before. The problem in American churches is we've been lulled to sleep, to think, oh, well, this is a Christian nation and everybody loves Jesus and kumbaya, aren't we all just wonderful? And nothing has brought it crashing down more than what we've seen happen in the last several weeks. But Americans need to wake up to realize the greatest challenge in proclaiming the gospel may no longer be in some foreign field, but rather in the backyards of our homes in pure Michigan, where people no longer receive nor are willing to receive it. Mahatma Gandhi the father of the nation of India said this, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of good literature. Let me say that again. Mahatma Gandhi, father of the nation of India, you Christians Look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of good literature. It's statements like that from somebody like Mahatma Gandhi that pierces us to the core to say, here's somebody who rejects Christ, and yet in a weird way, actually acknowledges and understands the power of the gospel and the word of God more than we even do sometimes. We've been empowered. You say, well, I'm afraid to go share the gospel. I'm afraid to go talk to people about Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm afraid to go to the ends of the earth. Well, if we believe that this word of God is truly the power we need in order to bring souls to Jesus Christ, that we are empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit, then we can say, you know what, with confidence, I may be afraid and I may be fearful and I may not know all the things, but I'm going in the power of Jesus Christ to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is his word that changes hearts and lives. It is his word that confronts the wicked sinner. It is his words that transforms us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I can say, well, it's not my words. I don't have to debate these people. I don't have to be the great philosopher. I just simply have to share God's word. That's all Paul did in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered. Not only are we facing opposition, not only are we facing rejection, we have empowerment. But verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You can save verse 48 for, for another discussion on Calvinism, Arminianism, for another day. There's a lot of truth in verse 48. But those that believed, received, rejoiced. What does that mean? Not only do we have opposition, not only do we have rejection, not only do we have empowerment, there is acceptance. There are people who will accept the word of God. Think about this. Until Christ returns, there will be people who accept the word of God. All hope is not lost. We look at our world and say, well, no one's going to believe this. No one's going to understand this. No one's going to want this. I remember when I was in elementary school, I sold, and this will probably change your opinion of me because I don't think I've shared the story. Uh, I sold stationery. That's probably why I'm not warm and fuzzy anymore because I, I sold stationery. And so I, I went around the neighborhood selling little cards and stationery things and post-it notes, and I would just try to make money somehow. And I remember I got so discouraged because nobody would buy anything. And I would get a dollar for every item I sold. I got a dollar, which to you know a 10-year-old kid is like $1,000. And so I remember one day I went to this lady's house and I said, ma'am, you wouldn't want to buy any of this, would you? <laughs> and she must have picked up on the fact that I was a discouraged salesperson, which is why I'm not in sales. And she said, can, she said, can I give you a piece of advice? I said, sure, I'll take whatever you can give. She said, maybe, maybe you don't start off a sales pitch with, you wouldn't want to buy any of this, would you? She said, maybe you just go in with a little bit of confidence and say, can I show you these things? Can I talk to you about these things? The problem is when it comes to the gospel and sharing the gospel, some Christians actually start off the conversation like that. I know you probably wouldn't want to hear this and you don't want to receive it. And it's probably a bunch of worthlessness to you, but can I tell you about how Jesus Christ changed my life? Like, I don't think you're going to buy this. I don't think you really are interested in this. I kind of have to do this to get my quote-unquote quota in, and you're probably not going to want it, but can I tell you about it anyway? The fact of the matter is, as the gospel is being preached, as the gospel is being communicated, there will be people who accept it. There will be people who receive it. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9 again, in verse 4, Paul says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. So did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. In Thessalonica, they saw people receive Christ. In Antioch, they saw people receive Christ. The preaching of the word of God brings results in the fact that people receive Christ. Still today, July 5th, 2020, newsflash, God still saves people. American Christianity has gotten this mindset and this idea that God doesn't save people anymore. But he's just as powerful today as he was in this time when Paul is preaching. And so we come away from verses 45 through 48 and say, okay, there's opposition, there's rejection, there's empowerment, there's acceptance. And we move into verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth means there is advancement. We want to advance the cause of Christ advance the work of God. 
I don't know what God has in store for Alto, Michigan. I really don't. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what God has in store for Grand Rapids. I remember when we moved here seven years ago, we had people that said, well, why are you moving to Grand Rapids? Isn't that like everybody is a Christian up there and aren't they all saved? And isn't that kind of like the buckle of the north? Yes, I guess in some ways. But as I came, it's like it has this burnt over feel. I mean, from an outsider coming into the Grand Rapids area, it has like this burnt over. Like, yeah, it was kind of all really a blaze of glory and now it's kind of just done and moved on. And I don't know what God has in store for Grand Rapids. I don't know what God has in store for Alto and Caledonia. But what I do know is that God is still at work of advancing the cause of his work and his kingdom. And those of us who are faithful to proclaim it, are faithful to communicate it, are faithful to share it, will see God advancing his cause. One of the, one of the greatest excitements I have in doing our work that we've been doing with IBL is the eagerness with which non-Americans receive the Bible. The eagerness of Kenyan brothers and sisters who will flock and listen for four hours at a time and then ask you, why are we done? Can we keep going? I spent two, three weeks ago, two hours on a Zoom call with about 40 South African pastors. And then this last week, I was invited back and did another two-hour Zoom call this last Friday with another set. Some of them were the same, but about another set of 40 South African pastors. And, and after we got done, the one pastor asked if he could speak to me privately. And so we went into kind of waited. we were going to go into a breakout room, but everybody else got off. So he, he just talked. He said, listen, he said, I am telling you that literally every week for the next year or two, we could have you signed up to speak for two hours at least at a time, and we'll have hundreds of people on here to listen because we need to hear what you have to say. We need to hear what the word has to say. We need to be taught. We need to be encouraged. We need to be instructed. The Kenyans, the Ugandans, the Tanzanians, the, the people in India, the people in Vietnam who are hungry for the word, who are hungry to be taught, it's overwhelming when you go to some of these places to see that the cause of Christ is advancing with rapidity, a rapid nature of advancement in some of these places. And maybe God is done with America. Maybe God is kind of taking a, a back burner approach with America. Who knows what's happening in America? But the cause of Christ is advancing around the world. That's why Matthew reminds us the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God will advance his cause. But then verse 50, not only is there opposition and rejection, not only is there empowerment and acceptance, not only is there advancement, but number six, verse 50, there is persecution. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. We know the stories of Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas and their their suffering that they faced, their, their challenges that they endured. We know of them in, at the, uh, the jail in Philippi with the Philippian jailer. We know that they were in shackles singing and praising God. We know that they were rejoicing in their persecution. John 15 reminds us if they hated God, then it makes sense that they're gonna hate us. If you're a Christian and your life's mission is to be loved by this world, then you might as well sign up to be someone who is never gonna share the gospel. And again, it's not like we beat people over the head. I don't think we should be the person standing on the sidewalk with the bullhorn and the picket signs with all the crazy symbols screaming at people. 
But if our goal and our mission is to be loved and accepted by everyone, then we're in the wrong profession, if you will. We have to understand that they hated Christ. They're going to hate us. We have to understand that they did not understand what he was talking about, what he was doing. They hated him. They're going to hate us. There will be persecution. One of the things that I think have thought for a long time, the greatest thing that could happen to America church is persecution. You say, man, that sounds like a morbid thing. Why would anybody wish that? Because it is during persecution that we see the resolve of those who are true believers of Jesus Christ. And we see the purging out of those who are simply followers because they're enamored with it. Persecution comes to the United States. I think many of us would be shocked to see who, in fact, is a true follower of Jesus Christ, willing to take a stand for the cause of Christ, willing to defend the cause of Christ. And unfortunately, I think we're going to see that happen here in just a matter of a short time. Will we endure persecution with resolve? Will we endure persecution with fortitude? So Paul says, or rather Luke says that, yes, there's opposition, yes, there's rejection, yes, there is um, the uh, empowerment, yes, there's the acceptance, yes, there's the advancement, yes, there's persecution, but then look finally at verses 51 and 52, the last two things. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. This is a beautiful verse. You say, well, why? That doesn't seem like a great verse. Well, look at what happened. All the stuff that Paul and Barnabas went through, all the difficulties that they went through, all the challenges that they went through, all the reviling that they went through, all the opposition that they went through, all the things that they endured, how did they respond when they were drove out of their district? They shook off the dust from their feet and said, what's the next mission? They were resilient. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth means there will need to be resiliency. Acts 5 reminds us of this with Paul and his team. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I wonder how resilient we are as believers. How resilient am I when it comes to opposition and challenges and difficulties that are brought against us? How resilient are we to say, you know what? I I shared the gospel with my neighbor yesterday and he cussed me out. But you know what? By God's grace, I'm gonna go share the gospel with my neighbor again today and show him that I love him and God loves him. Well, what if he cusses you out again? Well, tomorrow I'll get up and I'll do it again. How many of us would do that? How many of us would engage in a resilient process of sharing the gospel? The challenge that we have as believers is this. We have relegated the concept of the gospel to our missionaries, and we've relegated the concept of missions to the foreign lands. And in our arrogance, and in our pride, and in our foolishness, we have in the process declared our country to not have need of the gospel. The greatest country that needs the gospel is America. You want to make America great again? Preach the gospel. That's what makes us great. That's what brings us to a relationship with Christ. That's what allows us and enables us to see the cause of Jesus Christ advanced. We need believers who are resilient, 
who are willing to take a stand. That's why, as we talked about last week, and faithfully fulfilling the one another's, as Paul talks about in the book of Philippians chapter one, at the end of chapter one, he talks about we're linked arm in arm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, we're not out there doing it alone. We're not mavericks to say, well, I'm gonna go out there by myself. Well, you're gonna get picked off. But we go out together, linked arm in arm, striving for the cause of Jesus Christ, being resilient together. So Luke reminds us through this narrative that when it comes to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, there is opposition, there is rejection, there is empowerment through the Holy Spirit and the word of God, there is going to be acceptance, there will be an advancement, there will be persecution, but they need, we need to have resiliency. But verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again, we've only looked at the last section of this chapter. And this is just one chapter in a multitude of chapters dealing with the missionary journeys of Paul. You could take this and repeat it probably a hundred times. And here we are at the end of this section of scripture. Not the first rodeo for Paul and his team. Not the first time they've experienced these challenges. Not the first time they've gone through these difficulties. And here they are being driven out of the area and they shake the dust off their feet. And what do they do? They're filled with joy, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is that joy that continues to drive Paul. It is that joy that continues to encourage him. It is that joy that continues to allow him to continue on as the work of the Holy Spirit empowers him. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Would you consider it joy to be able to face persecution for the cause of Christ? And I don't want you to think that somehow, like, well, look at, of course I would. I mean, Dave Dietz would be awesome at this. I don't know. I have to ask myself that same question. If I was opposed, if I was reviled, if I faced persecution, you know, I think every man, at least most men, have these, you know, Rambo dreams. Girls, maybe you have Betty Crocker dreams. I don't know. But men, men have Rambo dreams, right? Where in our dreams, we're like, we're buff. We're awesome, we're like amazing at everything, and, and we are the most powerful thing in the world. And when it comes to the gospel, sometimes we're like, oh, of course I would be, I would be the man. If everyone else fails, I'm gonna stand. If anyone else falls away, I'm gonna be faithful. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true of Dave Dietz. I haven't faced a lot of persecution. In fact, I would argue this. I don't know that I've faced any persecution from unsaved people, actually. If I've received any issues, it's been from believers. 
So I don't know. I don't want you to stand here and think, well, Dave Dietz, is, he thinks he's awesome and he's wonderful and he would just be able to, I don't know that I would. I'd like to think that I would. I'd like to think that I would be faithful. I'd like to think that if somebody put a gun to my head and said, deny Jesus Christ, I would say, go ahead and pull the trigger because I'm not gonna deny Jesus Christ. I would like to think that. And in my quote unquote dream, I'm the Rambo who says, <laughs> you know, or Clint Eastwood, make my day. But the reality of the matter is, if we're not trusting in the empowering word of God, we're not trusting in the empowering Holy Spirit in our lives, it's very possible that we would not stand. We would not be resilient. We would not have the joy that these disciples had. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, these eight truths out of these nine verses, there is opposition that we will face, there is rejection that we will face, there is advancement for the cause of Christ that will occur. There is persecution that will occur. There is resiliency that needs to occur. There is joy that will happen. We need to understand that we will be empowered, we are empowered, and that people will accept it. Eight truths about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you could glean anything out of this, say, well, what would be one nugget one thing you would want us to learn. If I could say one final thing to Whitneyville Bible Church, what would it be? I would say this. Realize you are at the end of the earth. You must preach the gospel. If I could dwindle seven years down to one statement, it would be that. Realize you are at the end of the earth and you must preach the gospel. Because if we can take that, we can begin to fulfill what God has called us to. The reason the American church is struggling is because in its pride and foolishness, it has been lulled into the delusional thought that America doesn't really need the gospel because we're pretty good. Realize you are at the end of the earth and preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you so much for the enablement that we have from the Holy Spirit to allow us to proclaim you to this world. And Father, as we embark on our journey as a family and we go around the world, give us boldness and wisdom and opportunity to share the gospel. Help us to be faithful in doing that. But Father, for those of us here at Whitneyville, may we understand that Alto, Michigan is actually the end of the earth. And therefore, Father, will you help us to preach the gospel? We thank you for all that you have done for the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.